live. Bryant sends one to deep left, way back, it is gone! A three-run homer! In the entertainment capital of the world. Didn't matter what the count was. It's the T.C. Martin Show. to get your daily prescription from the doctor. Oh, my goodness. That's the longest home run to center field we have seen in this ballpark. T.C. Martin. Way back in my feet, it could be. Cubs win. Cubs win. Cubs win. Holy cow. Look at the left fielder. He has the ball in the end. He has not won. And here comes the Cubs out on the field. Our imaginations are infinite. Sculpting a baseball diamond from a farmer's field in Iowa. Longing for summer as seasons are painted on its canvas. Once this game and this land touches you, the wind never blows so hard again. Hey, Dad? You want to have a catch? I'd like that. I'm Kevin Costner, and on this field, we once made a movie about dreams, of baseball in years gone by, and much more. A tale of love, family, character. The treasure of a single day. America has embraced the heroes of our youth for over a century. Those who ran on grass so green it took your breath away. Touching bases as white as clouds. Tonight, we pause time. In the warmth of August, two major league teams gift us a forever moment. The White Sox, the Yankees. Come to our field of dreams and play ball. Kevin Costner last night narrating the opening of the Field of Dreams game between the Yankees and the White Sox. We'll talk about that today. Uh, the good, the bad, how'd you feel about it, what'd you think, and we'll dive into that uh, today. T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank, on this Friday as we get ready for a big weekend here in Las Vegas as well, too. The Raiders will open up Allegiant Stadium with fans, exhibition style, preseason, call it what you want, against the Seattle Seahawks tomorrow at 6 o'clock, ribbon-cutting ceremony at 3, and uh, we will preview that game as well here today. So a lot to do, a lot to talk about. But let's start talking about the Field of Dreams. What do you think, Frank? I liked it. I, I thought it was cool. I thought it was a, I thought it was a cool event. Seemed like the fans were into it. I like how uh, outside of the outfield fences, there was some walkways in that and mazes that people could walk through a little bit in the cornfield. Um, it kind of reminded me of growing up in Crystal Lake, Illinois, with uh, literally our Little League field had cornfields right behind it. And when somebody hit a foul ball or something like that, kids would run in the cornfield and try to get balls because we were always looking for baseballs for our pickup games and that, that we weren't in the league and everything. So for me, it actually brought back some childhood memories, and uh, I, I thought it was really cool. It seemed like the players were into it with the old-time jerseys and everything else, and it was a hell of a game. Uh, the one thing I noticed was it seemed like almost every home run was to the opposite field, but they had mentioned 
there was kind of a jet stream blowing out to right and right center. And, boy, pitching outside, usually what pitchers want to do in yesterday's game, last night's game, whatever you want to call it, since it was kind of early afternoon and went into the evening, not necessarily the right pitch to throw. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, the game itself turned out to be a classic. And this was an event. And I'll give Major League Baseball credit for putting this event together. And this was an event that was supposed to take place last year. Actually, the, you know, they, they built that, uh, that stadium, you know, around uh, the diamond. And, you know, a c- couple interesting things, you know, for me here. Uh, I did like the idea of Major League Baseball kind of embracing the movie A Field of Dreams. And I know there are people that are on both sides of this. Some people think, hey, this was cool. Others feel it was corny. So that's my question. Was it cool or was it corny? And for me, it was a little bit of both. I, I like you, really enjoyed the uniforms, okay? And I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, we, we go to the beginning, and with Kevin Costner doing that, I thought, okay, that, that, that was fine. And then the players who came out of the cornfield, that was pretty cool. Okay, so they're really trying to build on on the movie and the iconic scenes and the memories and the moments that we r- remember from that classic movie. Um, but then it got a little weird for me. After the players came on the field, and I'm watching Costner, and I'm saying, okay, is, when he's walking out to the field and to the pitcher's mound, am I say- I'm saying to myself, is he trying to reenact the movie, his scene, in that, was he reenacting that, or was he genuinely just soaking in the moment here? And then we heard his speech, and that's what it was. It was a speech. It was basically rehearsed, and I couldn't make up my mind if, okay, is he still acting here, or is he being sincere? Good afternoon. Thirty years ago, thirty, on the other side of that corn, we filmed a movie that stood the test of time. Tonight, thanks to that enduring impact that that little movie had, it's allowed us to come here again. But now, we're on a field that Major League Baseball made. We've come to see the first place White Sox. Play the mighty Yankees. In a field that was once corn. It's perfect. We've kept our promise. Major League Baseball has kept its promise. The dream's still alive. There's probably just one question to answer. Is this heaven? I don't think I heard you. Is this heaven? Yes, it is. This this field is for the players. Good luck today. All right, so there's Kevin Costner. How did that hit you when you watched it? 
Well, I mean, I, I thought that part was a little bit corny, and, yeah. and rightfully, he's an actor. He's not an improv yeah. actor or something like that, so he had something rehearsed. He had something prepared. I don't think he was trying to completely relive the movie, because remember, he didn't go into the corn in the movie. Mm-hmm. He wasn't allowed in the corn. Right. He wasn't invited into the corn. So him coming yeah. out on that, I think he was kind of absorbing it like, okay, now I get my moment in the corn to make the appearance and everything. And yeah, like I say, it was a little bit corny, but I thought there was a little bit of sincerity. To be honest with you, I'm surprised it took 30 years for this to happen. Right. Here's what got me, though. He, it was like he was filming a sequel. You know, when he got to this, you know, when he got to that part in, in, in speaking, why was he so subdued? You would think you want to celebrate this moment. The players are, are jazzed up. The crowd is pumped up. And then you got Kevin Costner just being subdued. There was no excitement in his voice whatsoever. It was like, hey, welcome to the Field of Dreams. I mean, you didn't, you didn't see any of that. Well, no, I think he was going for the melodramatic yeah. part of it, like in the scene in the movie, which, uh, Ray, I, I, I wrote that article, and, you know, and this and that. So I think he was going for that a little bit. I think he was being a little bit overdramatic in that I think sort he of went thing. way for yeah. that. So, so yeah, in, I, instead I, of letting himself yeah. Yeah, I would be agree in the with that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I would, it, once he appeared from the corner, if he would have run to the mound and jumped up and down in that, I would have been fine with something like that. But he did it the way he wanted to. And, and again, I don't know how much of the game you actually got to watch. You know, usually when they interview somebody, they interview him for like a half an inning, maybe say, can you say another half? He stayed on with them for over three innings. I mean, he was a, can you stay, I'd love to stay a little bit. I mean, he milked every moment out of it on the TV side and everything else he could. You could tell that he was very happy to be there. But I know why you're a little bit on the fence about this movie. Because in Field of Dreams, the little girl chokes on a hot dog. And they made hot dogs the villain. And I think you take that personally. That's, that's right. The Heimlich <laughs> Maneuver came in. And Timothy Busfield in that movie. A, a Sacramento guy as well, too. And I liked Field of Dreams. I did like the movie. I really did. But I just, you know, Kevin Costner was different when he was doing the interview with Joe Buck, right? He he was more engaging. But I just thought But even this then was, he was a little bit laid still, back he was in still that. Subdued. I mean, yeah, I mean he, he certainly right? he wasn't the rah rah yeah. shake the pom-poms guy at all. And I think people wanted to see that. And I'm cool with him coming out of the corn and playing that role. And I, that got me a little bit, too. I, I'm, I'm fine with that. But then it was a little bit overboard. He took so long holding the ball, looking around. And then he gets there. I would l- rather see him, you know, you know, welcome, smile in the face. But it was like he was still in that actor's moment. So, to me, that got a little a little phony for me. I, so, think, I think he also got thrown back a little bit when he said, is this heaven? I think he was expecting a resounding yes. Yeah. And there were mixes. Because, of course, in the movie they say, no, it's Iowa. And I think, a lo- I think half the fan base was going no because they thought they were, they thought he was reenacting the movie as well. And the exactly. other people were saying yes. Right. And so there was a, I, I don't think I heard you. And then you just heard it louder, but it was still the same mix. Yeah. It's like, Okay, where the hell are we? Yeah. <laughs> are we in heaven or are we in Iowa? Because after he asked it, I still wasn't sure. Yeah, no, I thought the whole thing <laughs> was just a little goofy with that. Again, it was, it needed it was like he was take, going for a sequel. It needed a take two, but it was being done live. Oh, <laughs> man. All right. So uh, Also interesting that it was like, I think there was about 8,000 people there hmm. in a town of 4,000 people. Yeah. Well, I was really looking at that. And I was looking at the aerial shots, too, because remember the final scene of the movie? They have the aerial shot where the cars are coming yeah. and, and where those roads were. So then when we... We got we a saw, lot of work to do, Ray. Right. We saw a lot of, of the blimp 
action there last night. And I'm going, okay, see that road, this and that. But, you know, you say, you wonder where we were. Where were we in heaven? Were we in Iowa? Tell you where we where we weren't last night or where they weren't last night. They weren't on that original field. And oh, no. I, I understand that. But, again. It wasn't even the same town. No, the original field's right there. It's behind it. Oh, okay, yeah. It was right there. But my point is. I think a lot of people, when they heard about this field being constructed, I thought they were just going to add to the original field. But they kept the field where they shot the movie on the other side. And then now, like he said, Major League Baseball built that field. They built that stadium. It's not even on the same grounds that where they shot the baseball scenes. So you have to go clearing the other side. So what I'm looking at this. First and foremost, before I started realizing, wait a minute, they didn't expand. They just build bleachers there. You know, where she, you know, fell down off, uh, you know, the fourth row of the bleachers, third row of the bleachers. Yeah, there and Doc, had, the to cross, Doc yeah. had to cross the yeah. foul line to save her. He did. Absolutely. And, um, but, so I, I looked at that and I'm going, wait a minute. They're coming, they're coming out of the fields. That's pretty cool. Except, wait a minute, they're coming off the wrong side. They're coming out of right center field, right field. I go in the movie. They come out of left center field. Well, didn't one of them come out of right and the other team came out of left? Everybody came out of left. There was only one uh, opening one there, entryway. one entryway of yeah. the movie. Now, I'm speaking of the movie, and that was in left center field. Oh, yeah, so, in the movie, yeah, but I'm talking, I'm talking last, last night. I think they came out. I think they both came out of different that, ones. This is my point, is that if you're going to reenact it, you know, I'm a stickler for this, especially sports movies, reenact it the same way, but they couldn't because that's when I realized, wait a minute. And I saw the aerial shot of the original field, you know, with the path from home plate to the mound and like the old school field. And I'm going, wait, this isn't the same field. And then when he said, oh, Major League Baseball built this, I said, okay, I, I get it now. So that's why they had the walkways there through right field to come through that. All right. So that disappointed me. But here's another thing that disappointed me the fence. We had fences there. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to see a fence. I want to see you. The corn is supposed to be the fence. But then anything that went beyond the outfielders that reached the fence would basically be a ground rule double. That's if it fine. Didn't go over it. That's the way it was in whatever this was supposed to be. But I don't know when, if they would sanction that by Major League Baseball. I'm assuming they wouldn't. That's why they had to build a fence. Okay. I will take umbrage with that because if Major League Baseball is going to sanction putting a hill in the middle of center field at Houston like they did, remember that nonsense? Anything goes, right? Well, maybe. I, I mean, mean, a hill where, where players could get injured and did get injured. A hill? Are you kidding me? Well, they used to have the uh, the the the, uh, the relief pitchers warming up and that kind of stuff with mounds in foul territory that yeah. infielders and outfielders yeah. could both trip over and, going after and remember, foul balls. And they had part of the train track there. Uh, when they yes. first built that stadium. Aren't there still some like minor league clubs or something? Like that? There used to be one field, I think it was in Saint, like in Cincinnati or somewhere in Ohio, where the train literally sometimes they would have to cancel, they yeah. would have to postpone the game for the yeah. train to go through center field. That was actually, it, I was actually in Bingo Long's Traveling All-Stars and Motor Kings, by the way. Yeah, but, but I think I, yeah. that was right. a true story, that of there course. was really a train. That, yeah. I mean, they yes. would literally have to stop. It wasn't only a train yeah. track, it was still an actively used train track. You're, you're stamping my point. Point uh, with the exclamation point there exactly. Major League Baseball—that's the way it's always been for a hundred plus years. So, well, but they do have fences everywhere now. Remember the—you know. You know the original Wrigley Field. I don't. A lot of people don't know this. I was actually surprised when I first read this. The original Wrigley Field truly had a home field advantage. 
Because before the ivy-covered walls, they had a rope out there. Yes. And they said when the Cubs were up to bat, the fans would push in as far as they could to make the dimensions of the field a little bit less to make it easier for the Cubs to hit home runs. And it also made the outfielders afraid to go in the power alleys. Right. But when the opposing team was at bat, they would pull back on the rope and had like a good 15 to 20 feet of distance for the other team to have to hit home runs. That, my friend, is a home field advantage. Yeah. Well, the old Tiger Stadium was like 440 to center field and the old polo grounds in New York. And the well, Tigers, that way where the Giants used to play. And the Tiger Stadium were, were right field. The, 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 it was actually the ledge if you hit it high Correct. enough. It could be a regular, a routine fly ball that might be a home yes. run because it, was, yeah. because it actually went out over so the regular stand. Baseball has had all these quirks forever. I'm just saying, if we're going to reenact the movie and you went to all of this time, money, effort to do it, make it a nationally televised game, a standalone situation on a Thursday night, then okay, let's let's really replicate it. So if you don't want to build onto the original field, why they didn't do that, I have no idea. I guess that's you know because well maybe it's the fans and everything else, maybe they couldn't, maybe, it, maybe. you know the, they just couldn't get it done and with the dimensions and everything. That but they it was properly. built in the middle of a cornfield, so you oh have, absolutely you have plenty of acreage there, right? Yeah. So because the whole town thought Ray was crazy yeah. when he was plowing over his profits, that's, that's, and he already had a mortgage on a house. That's right. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> But, yeah, Timothy Busfield, he was a problem in that movie, man. Always telling Ray, you know, don't do it. You know, you got to sell, Ray. The bank's going to foreclose. But when do these players arrive? I don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> but Ray, do not sell this farm. Do not sell this farm. But I didn't even really notice the fence until I really looked at it. So it was. Well, I noticed it immediately because yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's not just corn that they're up against there. There's a fence. Yeah. I can see. Because so, I can see through the mesh and everything. You of, didn't of need the that. Fence. I mean, if you really want to, you know, embrace the ambience of it, then just let's let's have the cornfield be the cornfield. I mean, the balls are flying anyway. You know, there are plenty of home runs anyway. It was an over. Did you like the scoreboard in right field there? The old wooden thing that was just kind of thrown up there, and they're putting the numbers up like yeah. the like the old yeah. kind of fashion yeah. way. Yeah, it was okay, I guess. Like even the graphics when they would show like a pitch when it would go from you know one and two to two and two or something like mm-hmm. that, and they made it look like instead of electronically that somebody was actually changing it. You know, yeah. to to me that was like okay, well this is old Wrigley Field. <laughs> Baseball scored last night though because people are talking about it. It was the highest rated regular season game in the last sixteen years. And on a Thursday night. On a Thursday night. And why, I was thinking this too, why didn't they do it on a Friday night? Or why not do it on a Saturday? I was wondering that. You know, it, I guess, again, they wanted to take advantage of maybe, you know, Thursday night, bump some of Fox's Thursday night programming. I, I don't know. Or maybe they, they wanted to just play on the Thursday and then they wanted to probably, you know, get back to Chicago yeah, to get play the rest the of the weekend. So that make, everything that else, makes so, sense yeah. again. So yeah, I, I was thinking that at first myself yeah, a little I'm bit. I'm sure so, that's it. You know, and, and, I, and I'm sure it also didn't hurt that right now it's kind of rerun season for everybody yeah. out there for all the networks and everything. Right. So, But it, they made an event. I'll give them credit for that. It, it, it was cool, but I thought parts of it were corny where they didn't need to go. And then, you know, the game itself was pretty phenomenal. And when you look at that game, I, I pretty much gave up on the game, like I told you earlier. I mean, when it was 7-3, uh, to three, the White Sox were ahead, I thought, you know, okay, th- this thing is done. 
But it turned out to be a very, very special night for, for both teams. And the Yankees thought they had the game won. We go to the game last night. The Yankees were down 7-4. to four. There's two outs in the top of the ninth inning. It's a 2-1 count to Aaron Judge. And he says, we're not quite done yet. Puffin and Puffin with a count 2-1 and one on Aaron Judge. High fly ball. This ball is way out of here. One-run game. Two-run shot for Aaron Judge uh, made the game seven to six, and wow, it's interesting. But still, two outs, right? We're gonna have a blown save here, you know, with the White Sox. So then Joey Gallo comes up, who just came over from the Rangers a couple weeks ago. He works a walk, and then uh, Giancarlo Stanton comes to the plate with a chance to give the Yankees the lead with more drama. Here's Stanton. He's hit 17 home runs, hitless tonight. say wall he said wall well he can't say he's up against the corn because there was a wall because there was a fence back there there was no wall it was corn what was a temporary wall yeah (laughs) Yeah. so at that point in time i know yankee fans are they're jumping up and down the yankees were jumping up and down the first base dugout they're having a great time it's like wow this is something special here but then we come to the bottom of the ninth the yankees got a one-run lead and we know the white Sox bats and they scored seven runs prior to that. They get a guy on, and Zach Britton, well, you know, time for him to blow a save. Anderson hits it in the air to right. Back at the wall, and the White Sox win it. So Anderson hits the home run, and uh, that was the Joe Buck call. But can you imagine what the White Sox call was? I'd imagine there was a little bit more excitement. Yeah. Lynn Casper on the call for the White Sox with Tim Anderson's homer. Short lead by Sebi. The pitch is hit in the air. Deep to right. That ball is gone. White Sox win. The field of dreams. Nine eight the final. Light it up. It was meant to be first game ever in Iowa. That's the best game ever played in Iowa. <laughs> there it is. So Lane Casper with the call. White Sox uh, radio network there. I wonder if the Iowa Cubs have anything to say about that. Yeah, like, yeah we've had some pretty good games here in the past. But, yeah. But, yeah, but no, and, and also it's, when you're talking about the, the historic stuff. Now, if you're a conspiracy theorist, mm. I'm sure some of them are right now trying to go, oh, this thing was all fixed and set up and that, and you know how, oh, the walk-off home run. 15th walk-off home run in the history of the White Sox against the Yankees. Mm -hmm. Who hit the first one? Shoeless Joe Jackson in 1919, the year of the Black Sox scandal. So everything was cyclical. And the way that the Yankees hit the two home runs in the ninth to set it all up and everything – I mean, it really was kind of magical moments and stuff like that. And as much as the Yankees were jumping up and down, the White Sox were then equally doing that on their side of the field. But no, I thought it was a fun game. Uh, I, I thought it was interesting. Uh, yeah, I know you looked at a lot of things that you didn't like about it. 
normally I do that when I'm watching movies and things, but in this particular game, because I noticed the fence immediately too, and I thought, ah, that's not really, shouldn't yeah. be there. But then I thought, you know what? I'm not going to poo-poo anything or nitpick. Mm-hmm. I'm going to sit back and see if this game can entertain me and just yeah. let myself, for once, just see if I can just be entertained and enjoy something. And I did enjoy it. I thought it was a yeah. good event. I liked it. I also thought it was interesting, and I didn't understand why people would buy a ticket to a game like that, but they were walking around in the outfield in that. It's like, why aren't you in your seat watching the damn game while you're taking the trails in that? And then when the balls would go in the corner, you'd see some people rushing in trying to get it in that. Again, that's what reminded me of growing up in the Little League field in Crystal Lake by the drive-in when I lived on State Street uh, back in Crystal Lake, Illinois, because there was literally cornfields and farms all around. But here, I want to be clear here. It's not that I was looking to nitpick this. Not at all. And I saw some media guys today that were, were nitpicking this thing, and they didn't get it. You know me. I'm a, I'm a baseball historian type of guy. I love my movies. I love my sports movies. So I, I wanted to embrace this, and I, and I did embrace this. But then again, if you're going to go to all the trouble and the money and the time to do this, let's, let's get it right. And for the most part, they did, and I thought it was cool. I, I really did. I thought it was more cool than corny. Uh, the only part that I really thought was corny was Kevin Costner's little acting that he was doing last night. I thought that was corny. But the game, the uniforms, the Sox uniforms from back in 1919, very cool. Yankees uniforms, very cool. I really enjoyed that. The aerial shots, seeing the corn, seeing the greenery, I thought that was that was very, very cool. I'll tell you what's not cool, though, is Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson hit the, the two-run homer. Yeah. Never saw the movie before. How do you never see the movie? He said he's never seen. People were asking him, interviewing him after the game. He goes, you know, I never saw the movie. Well, is that really hard for you to believe in this day and age that somebody young? It's not. We were it's just not. at the NBA Summer League yesterday. What did Spencer Haywood say? A bunch of the, the players were like, who the hell are you, basically? Just because you played a game doesn't mean you know the game or you're a student of the game or you've watched every movie about the game. The, the, the other thing that I kind of question, and maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, did they shoot fireworks off after games back in those days? I don't Because think so. they certainly did after that walk-off another run. One. There we go. There's another Now, I know shift. at the old Comiskey Park and that they literally used to shoot fireworks off yeah. all the time, but I don't know if they did in 1919. Actually, it'd be a buzzer. Okay, so I, I, at X would mark the spot there. Yeah, it's a, yeah I, I said check mark, but X. Yeah, fireworks. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, but here's the thing. This guy has been playing baseball his whole life. Tim Anderson. Maybe this guy's like movies. been in the minor leagues. You don't like Westerners? Lo- it doesn't matter. You're a baseball <laughs> player at some way, shape, or form, either when you're a kid or you're in the minor leagues, and he's been a major leaguer for, for quite some time now, okay? And you know that you're going to go play at the Field of Dreams. Well, that that I'll give you. That for I'll over give you. a year. That I'll give you. You, you, you could have certainly Come done on. your due diligence and checked Come it out on. to see exactly what it's all about. I mean, it should have been mandatory viewing. And you know, here's well, the, they should have had a team meeting or something like that where you. the whole team watched that, it together. Absolutely. A team let, bonding session. Let me, let me tell you, in Green Bay, that the first thing that the, the Packers do when they bring their rookies in, even if they make the team, don't make the teams, they put them through the Packer Hall of Fame. They go through the Packer Hall of Fame there at Lambeau Field, and they make them go through the tour and make them sit there and watch the old videos so they know. Because you know that media people are going to come and ask you, like, hey, do you realize you're on the hollowed ground of Curly Lambeau and Vince Lombardi and that sort of thing? So 
they make sure that their players know that. So they prep them for it. Yeah, which is great. Well, it, it it is a smart thing to do. Yeah, obviously the White Sox weren't smart enough yes, to do that. Right, right. They probably just assumed that everybody had seen it. Okay. But no, I no. agree with you. I mean, yeah. I, I think they would have. It would have been nice to uh, get a theater and just make yeah. sure that the whole team is there. Right. Maybe both teams are there too, because I can see where some people wouldn't have yeah. seen it. Right. I mean, to me, it's almost inconceivable. But you know, well, if I do want to nitpick this though, all right. So now we're having games. Regulation game, regular season games on a movie set, basically, yeah. all right, in a cornfield. So should other sports now take notice and maybe get some big-time ratings? So should the NBA maybe go play at Hinkle Fieldhouse and go play where they filmed Hoosiers? Why not? Should we do that? Why not? Would that be a good idea? Baskets are still 10 feet high. The That's right. still 94 feet. That's it. Let's measure. I mean. All right, now listen to me. Uh, this is the last shot that we got. All right? We're going to run the picket fence at him. Merle, you're the swing man. Jimmy, you're solo right. All right, Merle should be open swinging around the end of that fence. Now, boys, don't get caught watching the paint dry. That's it. Don't get caught watching the paint dry. Classic scene when uh, Dennis Hopper took over. Doesn't Gene Hackman there. Doesn't the NFL do games in Wembley Stadium every year? Yeah. Haven't they done games in other places? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, so other sports have done stuff. Yeah. Didn't um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar set the point record at here in Vegas? Yeah. So, I mean, it's not like other sports haven't done stuff in places that aren't one of the official team's home things. Well, the NFL plays down in Mexico. Right. But those are actually stadiums. So you constructed this stadium there. Well, this in was Iowa. a stadium. It's a movie. I, I'm, I'm going the movie theme here, okay? So don't mess up my parade here. I'm going movies. Well, no, because you said you, you want to nitpick on it, and yeah. you're nitpicking because they played in a stadium right. with regular dimensions so and should, everything else. Should basketball? They, they well, did everything the same. Should the NBA ha- go play at the Hinkle Fieldhouse? It'd be kind of cool because if you're going to recreate this and it draw drew these great ratings, shouldn't the NBA go play in Hinkle Fieldhouse at around Hoosiers? Wouldn't that be cool? Well, yeah, it would be great. Now, what would really tick you off is if they said they were going to Hinkle Fieldhouse, <laughs> and then they built a new building right next to yes! a couple more seats. Exactly. And you could see Hinkle Fieldhouse in the blimp shot. Okay. How about the NFL? Now, if we're going to go movies with the NFL, where should the NFL play a game? Well, I mean, like I said, the NFL's already done games in different places. I said, but, but they a could... movie theme. Though it's the greatest football movie of all time. I think we got to have the NFL play at the Georgia Citrus State Prison. That's what we got to do. The longest yard. There you go. Right now. All right, now listen. Listen to me. We're going to let Budansky come right through. Nobody touch that big mother. You got it? I want to try something. I want to try something. Now, if it works, everybody hit him. Right? Right. Split right. All curl on one. Ready? Ready. Ready. One of my favorite plays. Blue! 69! Right in the groin! Isn't that great? That's it. Georgia State Prison. The Let's ori- have a game there. The original, so much better. Got that right. Than, than, than the remake. Oh. And um, Yeah, don't get yeah. me going about 2005 Adam Sandler. Don't get me going yeah. with that nonsense. The, the only thing that bothers me a little bit about that movie is uh, originally I liked the line, but now when he says, I think I broke his freaking neck. Right. You know, after breaking my neck, it's right. not a fun thing. 
<laughs> that's when you get up and go get your popcorn. You know, because you don't want to see that scene. No, no, I, I still watch it yeah. all the time. Yeah, it, the only thing I really actually didn't like about that movie was uh, wasn't too crazy about the cheerleaders for the prison team. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. Yeah, but no, that was a that, that was an excellent movie. It, it was absolutely. Great. Great. And here's the thing about that movie: they actually filmed that movie at 300 First Avenue there in Reedsville, Georgia, at the Citrus State Prison, that is still in existence today. That was a football field that they had there at the prison. That was what was so beautiful and so ingenious about that. So I say, NFL, Roger Goodell, let's go play a game at the Citrus State Prison. Do you want a soccer game where uh, they did the, the movie Victory? Then Why not? Like there that? you go. Let's have a World Cup game over there. I'm, I'm telling you, this is coming now, my friend. Because 30 years ago, would we ever think that we were going to see a, a baseball game where they... Film the Field of Dreams? Absolutely not. I, 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 I'm on the other side of that with you. Like I said, I'm surprised it took yeah. this long. Yeah. When, the, when I knew I'm talking they, about 30 years ago. We no, weren't thinking that. No, but 30 years ago when they said that they were going to keep the field up all the time, I thought, well, it's got to be just a matter of time before they do something. If they're going to keep the field all year round, they got to do something with it. Yeah. No. It was I cool. thought maybe it would be a minor league game yeah. or an exhibition game. Yeah. I didn't know it would be a regular season yeah. game. But, no, but I did enjoy yeah. it last yeah. night. It was cool. Cool or corny, a little bit of both. But you yes. can be both. It was, yeah, can yeah, be both. Yeah. You know, I, I, I saw your video on the dance floor. You were yeah. a little bit of both. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving it a thumbs up. There you go. All right, man. All right. Uh, we come back. Mark Anderson is going to join us. UNLV has a new interim athletic director. We'll talk to Mark about that. NBA Summer League. And we get ready for the Raiders. Home the opener. Raiders. Tomato. The T.C. Martin Show is back. Yes! Yes! What are you doing? It's just a halftime. Yes, this is my favorite part of the game. T.C. Martin. Yes! In the face! The doctor is now in. In. A lot going on here, as we know, here in Las Vegas. We were out at the NBA Summer League yesterday. A lot of fun out there. Uh, again, appreciate uh, Spencer Haywood for joining us yesterday. That interview is up on the website at tcmartinshow.com. But now you're back in your studio of dreams. My studio of dreams, <laughs> right. Not in the field of dreams, the studio of dreams. Believe me, I no comment. No comment at all. Numchuck says we're number one. Yeah. <laughs> Raiders in action tomorrow night. Looking forward to that. The first game with fans, even though it's an exhibition game. Preseason. Uh, preseason. Uh, exhibition preseason, same difference, same thing. People don't like that. Ribbon-cutting ceremony tomorrow, 3 o'clock. Mark Davis going to stand in the same place where he did going back, what, uh, three and a half years ago for the ribbon-cutting ceremony and shoveling dirt three and a half years ago. Look forward to that. Uh, we've got entertainment. Do you know who's going to be singing the national anthem? We've got some breaking news there on that. For tomorrow's game? Yeah. Do you know? Um, they're they're going to go all out. I know it's not me. It's not you. Well, you can't sing anyway. You don't know that. Well, well you want you to Every, bust, everybody, bust a couple lyrics? Everybody can sing. Yeah. Just some sing a lot better than others. Marie Osmond. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Is Donnie going to be there with her? I don't think so. Just Marie, Marie's going to be, be there. And, of course, uh, we've got a halftime show tomorrow, too. Carlos Santana. Oh, now that would be worth yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Carlos Santana. That guy can shred. <laughs> All right. Uh... We've got all kinds of stuff happening this weekend. Let's uh, tune in to Mr. Las Vegas himself, Mark Anderson. What's going on, my man? Not <laughs> much, TC. How you doing? I just wasn't sure how to bring you on. I mean, Mark covers everything with the Las Vegas Review Journal, and he is Mr. Las Vegas. Mr. Las Vegas. So yeah. maybe Mark. Mark. Mark, 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 
Mark's doing a, the singing at the the, the pregame then, or what? I don't know. No, you, you don't want to hear. No, you no, you believe me, you do not want to hear me do that. <laughs> oh. I, I thought Wayne Newton was Mr. Las Vegas. Yes, yeah, right. Well, well Mark, Mark yeah. can do a Mark, good Wayne Newton. Mark going to bust out a little Donka shame? That's <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> all right, man, where's all your attention been? Uh, Summer League, UNLV, where do we want to start? Because I want to hit it all with you. Uh, wherever you want, uh, we can start uh, either place. Whatever you you you're more, more more want to talk about. All right. Well, we do have the breaking news that uh, UNLV has hired an interim athletic director. President Keith Whitfield today said the uh, he is appointing uh, Eric Harper as the interim athletics director, effective August the sixteenth. Harper's a longtime uh, UNLV administrator who served the last nine years as UNLV's senior associate athletic director for development. So he will be in this interim role here. Uh, what do you think, Mark? Um, going with the interim tag here, or why didn't they hire a permanent guy immediately? Well, I think because they want to take their time. Um, and, and I think it's probably the right thing to do. Uh, you know, get someone in here to just run the day-to-day and really, really think about who you want to bring in as the next athletic director and see who you can go get. And um uh, it's just too important to hire to try to rush it, and you know the football season is going to begin anyway. So it's not like it, it's not like um, you're going to get someone in tomorrow. So you know you're going to go into the season with an interim, and that's fine. They, that's happened before. Um, so you know, I, I, I think I think if, as long as they make the right hire, that's really all that matters. What do you think about Desiree Reed Francois's uh, departure? Now, obviously. We all knew that she was going to use this as a stepping stone. She never would say that, but and she's been a mover and a shaker for quite some time. I believe what this is her seventh or eighth job, and now she goes to the SEC, goes to Missouri. So, understandably, anyone who's the athletic director at UNLV, they are for the most part, uh, if they want to aspire to go to a bigger school or bigger conference, they're going to do that. You can't blame her for that. But uh, uh, what was your take? On uh, on Desiree Reed Francois leaving UNLV for Mizzou, I was I was surprised at the timing of it. Uh, I know she's been looking at a number of jobs. Uh, her name keeps popping up, popping up with with different openings. Um, so yeah, there was no secret that she was looking to go to a Power Five. Uh, I just I just was um, you know I, I was I was I was thinking that the Power Fives were going to wait and see what happened with the football and basketball coaches because uh, you know the, the the jury's still way out. Or Marcus Arroyo, and who knows what how Kevin Kruger is going to do. So, uh, you know, neither program's really sh- is exactly shined under her watch. It's, I'm not going to say it's all her fault, but it's still she she was athletic athletic director at the time, and so you was you had I had I thought that was really going to hurt her, and and it with Missouri apparently didn't, and and from what I understand, Greg Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, spoke on her behalf for the job, and. You couldn't ask for a much more powerful person than that. Um, and I looked at who else they were considering, and she, to me, seemed like the, the strongest candidate of, of at least the ones that were publicly, you know, the names that publicly surfaced. So when I saw that, it made sense that Missouri hired her. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just I just thought it'd be another year or two once we saw what happened with football and basketball for anything like that happened. Mm-hmm. Eric Harper, who's been around UNLV since uh, 2012, obviously he's got to be very excited right now. But you know, when you get a a tag like that, that you know that you're the interim guy, you know darn well that he would love to be the permanent athletic director. Is there any shot that maybe he could be the guy? 
Yeah, I, I guess it's always a shot. I mean, you know, it, it's uh, I, 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 um, you know, I don't know what the the, the university's president is looking for, and you know, if he has a really good relationship with Eric Harper, and and is impressed with the job that he does, yeah, maybe he stays with him. And, you know, I, I could see that happening. The fact that he's he's getting the interim shows you that there's some sort of confidence that he wouldn't have gotten it otherwise. So I, I think I think he's I, – I, I wouldn't be stunned if you know, be turned to him in the long run. I do think they're going to look uh, nationally and see who they can attract. And But if he winds up being the strongest candidate, I, wouldn't be, uh, I think they probably will go with him. You mentioned that the football and basketball program both have relatively new coaches. The football team set up to be playing in front of bigger crowds now this year at Allegiant Stadium, so that's a plus. What is the most challenging thing for the new AD, whether it is the interim coach or if they go outside and they find somebody else? Uh, you know, what What is the biggest challenge right now? Because a lot of people think it's to find a way to get into one of the, the power, what looks like it's going to be four conferences. Is that achievable for UNLV? Not the way things currently are, no. The football program and basketball program need a lot of improvement, I think, for UNLV to get any kind of shot. You know, we have pretty much everything else going for it. It's got the city, it's got facilities. It's doing well in the other sports. Um, but, it, you know, I think when you look at football and basketball, they don't really bring anything new to the table. Let's just make the argument, for example, the Bank 12 decide to span. They're already in Las Vegas. So with they got the basketball championships and the football championship here. But I, they probably have, feel they have enough of a Las Vegas presence as it is, and that's the closest major conference to Las Vegas. Who knows what's going to happen with the Big 12? Um, it, I, it could survive, but, you know, it's it's going to be a shell of itself. Um, and then, you know, they're, you're, you're going even farther east. So I just I just don't really see UNLV being a strong contender for the Power 5 right now, or Power 4, whatever it may turn out to be. Um, but, but, you know, I think the new athletic director is going to have to you know, put the pressure on that football's got to get turned around sooner rather than later. And it's and with the way things are now, the transfer portal, you can do that. Uh, you know, so is, is, maybe a royal can get it done. He's had some really impressive recruiting classes on paper. Can he coach him up? Can a staff coach him up? That's the, to me, it's kind of the big question right now. He seems to have talent. Let's see what he can do with it. And if you know, I think in a couple of years, I think I think it's fair to give him a couple of years and see what he does with it. After a couple of years, if you don't feel like it's going in the right direction, then you go somewhere else. But maybe he gets it going and and he gets that program where it needs to be. Now you bring up a great point, Mark, about you know Las Vegas. People like to point to that. Well, hey, look at you know Las Vegas. The Pac-12 is already here. Bring up a great point. And there's no way in the world a, a Pac-12 or any other conference is going to want to have a football program that has not been successful. And let's, I mean, not successful. I mean, just been horrendous for 30 years. 30 years yeah. that this program has been yeah. around. There's no way in the world. When the Pac-12 expanded, they reached out to Utah and to Colorado. And, you know, those teams haven't had, you know, great success in recent times. And you're talking about Boulder, Colorado and Salt Lake City. Those are not, you know, you know meccas, you know, at all. And they went there. I mean, if the Pac-12 is going to go anywhere, they're going to probably going to reach out to Boise State or to San Diego State before they're going to reach out to UNLV. And I know that Rebel fans don't like to hear that, but that's but that's the truth. And I don't even, I don't even see the Pac-12 doing that. Yeah, I don't either. I think I think the Pac-12 is is going to kind of wait things out right now and see see how, how it all falls together. When the SEC, uh, well, when, when the news broke that uh, Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC, there was an immediate panic. 
all these conferences need to do something. But I think they've kind of settled in now, maybe with the exception of the Big 12, because the Big 12 is kind of a precarious situation. But that, the other conferences, the other three major conferences, I think settled in and more, okay, let's just see really where this goes. Uh, we don't need to expand just to expand. I don't know that the Pac-12 does need to expand. You know, if you know, maybe if you could sell that they would make more money through a new TV deal uh, with, with you know, an extra couple of schools. But I'm not sure, so sure that they can make that argument. And so why would you want to split the, the financial plan even more than you already are? So I, I think the Pac-12 is going to – I can see them having some sort of working agreement with the Big 12 uh, where they have some sort of scheduling alliance or something like that. And I don't see a flat-out merger, but some sort of alliance to where – um, they play their non-conference games against each other and that sort of thing, but I, I, I just I just don't think there's going to be an immediate rush to expand at this point. A lot of Rebel fans would love to have Lon Kruger as the AD. Is that something that you think would be a possibility, or would Lon even want this? I, I don't think he wants it. Um, if his son wasn't the basketball coach, I think he would make all the sense in the world. Uh, but I, I do think. There could be a problem. What if what if three years down the road, Kevin's not getting it done? Can would you really expect Lon to fire his own son? I mean that. I mean that's that's. And I don't think either. I don't think Lon one would want to be in the position uh, position to make that, that that decision. And I also do think that he does want to retire and enjoy enjoy life. Now uh, he's coached for a long time. Um, he, he you know he originally moved to you know uh, Las Vegas. To, to coach UNLV, it was his plan to stay here permanently. Um, so I think he is thrilled to be back and and just support his son and offer what kind of advice he can, but to be more on the sidelines and not directly involved. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing that that you did with uh, you know if Kevin doesn't work out there, and certainly everybody hopes he does, but that would be a really bad situation. And Lon Kruger is an easy name because he did just move out here, he did just retire. But if Lon Kruger is not the name. Who are some of the people out there that you've heard people talking about, or is it too early in the process to even speculate? Yeah, I think it's way too early. Um, you know, I'm obviously I'm sure they've gotten tons of responses. I'm sitting for imagine the president's office gotten tons of emails and calls uh, from those who are interested and representatives of those who are interested. I'm sure there's no shortage of that. So. Um, but yeah, I, I I think they're still I think they're in the process of trying to figure it all out. And this is a pretty a fairly new president too. So this isn't it's not like he's been here for for five years and been thinking about it a long time. Uh, I think I think this is I think he's still trying to figure all this out himself. So um, I, I but I do think it's going to move. Even though it's, I, he will take his time, I do think you'll start to hear some things surface probably in the next couple of weeks. Is my guess. Um, you know, where maybe someone will leak a name out there that uh, that someone's interested in the job, that sort of thing, because that, that tends to happen. A lot of times you get agents involved to get their clients' names out there uh, to try to draw attention to them, too. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if that begins to happen. All right, Mark Anderson from the Las Vegas Review-Journal joins us. A final thing here, Mark, as we look forward to UNLV taking the field here in a couple weeks, uh, what are you hearing? What are your thoughts? Is this going to be a season where the Rebels finally turn this thing around? Not this season, I don't think. No. Uh, yeah, I just, I just don't see it. Um, you know, I... I, I, I don't even I don't even know who the quarterback's going to be at this point. So I, that's such a big question, and I just I just think they have so much of a rebuild to do. Like I said earlier, he's had some really good recruiting classes on paper, 
but those guys need to grow into those roles, and they got to be coached up properly. And uh, finally, they had a full off season to do that. But you know, there, I was I was bothered by some things I saw last season. Well, one thing in particular, I, it, when Marcus Royal said last season was basically like spring practice, that that did not bother me. I actually thought that made a lot of sense. But then he played a senior quarterback. He started a senior quarterback. He's like, well. I thought that hindered the growth of the program. I, I don't think we, we know as much about the quarterbacks now as we should, and he doesn't know as much about the quarterbacks now as he should because he he elected to go that route. And I think that I think that might hurt him. Where you might have had say a Doug Brownfield further along at this point. So we'll see. Um, and I, I just don't think the schedule sets up great for them. You know, the win total is what one and a half. You know, it's that, that's I it wouldn't I wouldn't shock me if they just went finished with a couple wins now. I do think if they win four games, I think that's I think that's real, real, real progress. I really do. It probably won't get the attention of many people out there, but it will show some really good things. So if they can do that, I think that's I think four wins, believe it or not, is is assessment this year. We're laughing. We're actually laughing. You you said one and a half, but that is the number. How sad is yeah. that? And how can we yeah. think about the Pac-12 or any conference bigger than the Mountain West Conference? One and a half. And you're playing in a billion-dollar stadium. This is embarrassing. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, no, it's I, tragic. I, yeah, and I, I, yeah, and I, I, and he, I mean, they, they can't wait around yeah. to get things done. I mean, coaches turn stuff around quick all the time now because of the circumstances are different than they used to be. You know, coaches don't get five-year plans anymore because you don't have that luxury. So I think in a couple of years, uh, I think we'll we'll know exactly. If this is on the program set on the right track or not. Uh, maybe even this year, who knows? But I think, give it another couple of years, I think you can make a much fairer evaluation. You got it. All right, Mark, uh, appreciate you. Real quick, uh, tell people what uh, you're working on, where they can follow you. Well, I'm, uh, I'll be back uh, covering Summer League again next next uh, week of the Tuesday Championship and still working on some Olympic stuff, believe it or not. There's still things happening in that regard. And, and, uh, um, I imagine I'll be having my hand on the Raiders a little bit here and there. All right, brother. Great stuff, man. We look forward to talking with you uh, coming up here during the season. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. You guys take care. There he is, Mark Anderson, Las Vegas Review-Journal. All right, we come back. We talk a little Raiders and Seahawks, and uh, Dr. Christina Madison will join us as well, the public health pharmacist, our infectious disease expert, just all-around good doctor. We'll talk to her and a whole lot more coming your way. It's a Friday. Get ready for a weekend right here. T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank.